Good morning, church family. Good to see y'all this morning. As I woke up this morning and my wife came back in the house after going out to start the car and had to scrape the windows. And uh, I'm not saying it's winter, but welcome to winter almost. Uh, I'm glad to see y'all this morning. So last week, Pastor Scott uh, said we were wrapping up First John. I mean, First Peter. But uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit into 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and touch on a couple verses that we, uh, we looked at last week as well. But that wasn't my intention. My intention was to do something else. But then Monday morning as I was preparing for this message and, and wanting to talk specifically about church family and, and our life groups, um, it kind of just resonated after this last passage that we just went through last Sunday. Um, and so we're going to pick up again in 1 Peter chapter 5 in verses 12 through 14, and, and um, then we'll really be done with 1 Peter. I mean, we can't go back anymore, so that's, we'll be done for now. Um, we've been in this for a little while, I think since July now with Greg and Pastor Scott and myself all taking a couple turns going through 1 Peter, um, but we will really be done with it this week. As Scott was out this week, moosing around out in the woods, um, but it was a successful hunt, so he got a moose, so that's awesome. Um, but thankfully, that meant that I got the opportunity to preach today, so I'm grateful for that opportunity. So this morning, uh, as we talk about church family, what does it really mean to be a family, a church family, right? Do we view it in the same way that we view our other family? You know, we call each other brothers and sisters, and uh, but do we really see each other as brothers and sisters uh, in Christ and as the body? And then what do we do together as a church body in those relationships? So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. Um, we talk about family. We all have that kind of maybe that weird uncle or that strange cousin that no one really talks to unless it's Thanksgiving. Um, and the church family is the same way. We can have someone within the church body who's kind of maybe a little bit different, but we still love them all the same, right? We even love those, the, the weird uncle that um, in our family, in our genetic family, and we can love each other the same way in our church family, even the ones that might be a little bit uh, difficult to, to love. We're called to love each other, right? And um, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, I hope you got your bulletin this morning or your notes. Uh, I'm going to repeat the verses a couple different times for anybody watching uh, on, on the live stream. Um, we don't have the scriptures up here, but we got them on the uh, printout that you got handed when you came in. So I'll do my best to let you know where we are in God's word to, to keep up. So I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Translation this morning. Um, a little side note on translations, uh, whatever you're reading, whatever you use, keep using it, all right? There's not one that, that is greater than the other. In fact, I've heard it quoted before, whatever Bible translation that you are going to actually read, and that's the best one for you. As long as you're going to pick it up and open it and spend time in God's Word, that's the best Bible translation for you. Because if I don't open it up and I just set it on the shelf, it's just a book. Right, but if I open it and I spend time in God's word, getting to know him, 
learning about his characteristics and who he is and those promises that we just sang about and how faithful he is, then I can really see and know the power of God and God's word if I spend time in his word. So we're going to be reading from the English Standard this morning. It's not even my favorite translation. It's just the one I preach out of. So translations doesn't matter. So that commercial is over with. Maybe I'll preach about that someday. But for now, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who were in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity this morning to spend time with my brothers and sisters, looking to your word, singing your praises, and just encouraging uh, one another and being a part of God's uh, family, being a part of the church body. Lord, we just pray that your spirit be with us, that you pour your spirit out upon us today, and that we can understand what you'll have us to learn from your word. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's a lot to unpack. I know some of you are thinking, that's only three verses. We're going to get out of here and get to lunch early this morning. Uh, that might not be the fact. There's a lot of meat in those three verses to unpack, specifically about church family and why it matters. Why does it matter that we're, we see each other as family and as brothers and sisters? But before we get too deep into the family part of it, I want you to look at verse 13 of chapter 5 real quick. And it talks about, uh, Peter says, so who, or she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. So that phrase, likewise chosen, is important. It didn't just throw that word on there for no reason, but the likewise means that the church where Peter is in Jerusalem is chosen by God. But these churches that he's writing to, and it says she who is at Babylon is the church churches outside of Jerusalem, those who are on the outskirts, those who are not, because in the Jewish faith, in this time, if you were in Jerusalem, that's where you could truly worship, that's where the temple was, but if you were on the outside of Jerusalem, you were considered outsiders or outside, so he's writing to these who were outside of Jerusalem, saying, you are also chosen, yes, we here in Jerusalem are chosen, God's people, but just because you're not here and you're out there, you're still a part of the church. You are the church. You are likewise chosen. You're just as chosen as we are. And so the definition of likewise is in the same way also and in a manner similarly. So that would have to mean that the church that Peter's talking about where he is is chosen and the churches that he's writing these letters to are also chosen. And so that's our first point this morning on your notes is that we want to Remind ourselves to stand firm on that promises and to know that you are also chosen. Right? If we are a part of God's body, uh, of God's family, we are a part of the church body, we are also chosen. Right? We are his chosen, a special possession. We are uh, just as chosen by God if we are in Christ as those who Peter's writing to back here in the first century. There's no, there's no difference. So 
Look with me in 1 Peter. We have to turn a page backwards or two. 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. Peter again talks about these chosen people. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen that he's called us out of darkness and into his light. And that's who we are. We're chosen by God, by the creator, and all his majesty and all his awesomeness of God. He chose us. He chose you to be his possession. And so we have to know, church, remember that we are chosen. And we know that God chose us, right, because if I were to choose God, I would choose a God that I want, right? A God that I understand, a God of my own understanding, a God that suits my needs if I were to choose him. But he instead, he chose us, and therefore we can't mess it up because he did the choosing. And we know that because we know that in choosing us, he also, he first loved us. God's word tells us that in 1 John 4, 9, 419, sorry, 1 John 419 says it this way, that we love because he first loved us. And he loved us, he chose us. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that he calls us his special possession and that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us? What are we in turn supposed to do with that love? Well, I know one thing that we can do is we can Tell others about this great love, right? We are called, we're told to share the good news, but we're also, we love because he first loved us. We reciprocate that love by loving our fellow brothers and sisters. We love our church family. We, we love his bride that he's coming back for. We love the bride. We love the body. We love the church. We love one another. We call each other brothers and sisters, not just because it's the thing to do, it's the churchy lingo, but because we should see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, so that's what we're going to talk about. Look at verse, uh, verse 12. So we just, we're going to back up chapter 5, verse 12. And the second bullet point on your notes says that we need to develop deep friendships in Christ. Amen. As a body of believers, as those who are chosen by God, as those who are followers of Christ, we are not called to walk this walk alone. We're not called to run this race alone. We're to do it together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in order to do that, we need to take time and be intentional about building these deep friendships in Christ. And it's important. Peter thought it was very important in verse 12. By Silvanus... A faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So not only did he know this Sylvanus person, but he trusted him. He regarded him as a faithful brother. He saw him as a brother in Christ who had this relationship with. He was devoted and faithful to his brother. Look at verse 13. 
She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Again, there's this familial relationship going on. Mark is John Mark. Mark was not Peter's son. Not genetically, not biologically, but in the church, he viewed him as his son. He loved him. He had a deep connection with him. They were friends. He loved him enough to call him my son in the faith. So again, we see calling Sylvanus my faithful brother. We see him calling John Mark my son in the faith. These are relational, deep relationships, deep friendships in the body to help one another, to encourage one another, to keep one another accountable, to encourage in this walk that they're walking. And look at verse 14. Maybe one of the most intimate examples of this Christ-like friendship, verse 14 says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Amen, this was pre-COVID. But this is, in the culture this was written in, this was a way to greet one another. Not just strangers you met on the street, but your friendships, people you had a relationship with, those who you knew, those who viewed as, you viewed as your brothers and sisters or your son and daughters. You would greet them with the kiss of love or the holy kiss. It was a way of, it was reserved for someone who was very dear to you, someone that you had a deep relationship with. And so we need to develop these deep friendships in Christ. And so the question is, I guess, this morning is how are your friendships within the body of Christ? Do you have those deep friendships within the body that you can go to when you say, man, I'm having a, a rough time. I need you to pray with me. Can you stop what you're doing right now and pray for me? Because that's what we should do when someone asks us to pray for them, right? Is not say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then forget about it. And then three days later, oh, man, I never prayed for so-and-so. When someone asks you, okay, can you pray for me? We should stop what we're doing immediately and pray for them. Go to the Lord on their behalf. So do we have those type of friendships, people that we can call when we're in need, when we're struggling, when we uh, need to be encouraged? Do we have those friendships? And so relationships are vital to God. God is a God of relationships, right? People say Christianity is not a, a religion, it's a relationship. There's something to that because God is a God of relationships. He wants to be in relationship with us. In fact, John MacArthur once wrote that God is a relational being. How we go to God is through our relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And he does that by being in relationship with us. And so if God, who created us in his image, is a relational being, then we, too, should be relational beings. We want to be in relationship with one another, with our brothers and sisters. And so it's important to have these great friendships within the body of Christ and these relationships. But in order to build these friendships and these relationships, we have to do it outside of Sunday morning. Amen? Sunday morning is the time where we gather, we come together as the body, as brothers and sisters. But it's really hard to build a great friendship and relationship with you just seeing you on Sunday morning. We got to get together outside these walls or, or in a life group, which I'll talk about more in a little bit. But we have to spend time with one another. And, and man, I'm just as 
is I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as I am to you. And I'm going to pick on uh, Jared this morning a little bit because last Sunday he asked me, hey, man, you want to go out to the range? And I was like, ah, can't do it today. It's the second time that he's asked me to go somewhere. And, and I want to spend time getting to know Jared and building a friendship. But it's always a time when I can't do it today, man. I feel terrible about it. But we need to build these relationships outside of the church, outside of Sunday morning to pour into one another, to get to know each other, to, to live life together. This life isn't easy, right? We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another to live this life with. Hence the change of small groups to life groups. So we can live life together with one another. And so this, turns, this, this rolls into my next point, which is point number three on your handout there, is that we need to trust people to help us. We need to trust people to help us. And that's where these friendships, these relationships come from. Is that at some point in our life, in our walk, we're going to need some help, right? Where do we turn when we need help? Do we turn to family? Do we turn to our church family? Do we turn to our small group? Do we turn to the government? Hopefully not. But if we turn to each other to help one another, right? And again, guilty as charged. I don't like asking people for help. I come from that mindset, that, that mentality of I can do it. I got this. I can do it by myself. I might have the weight of the world crumbling on top of me, and I'm like, I got it. I'm good. I don't need any help. But the longer I've been following Jesus and, and being in life groups and in small groups, I've allowed these people to help when we need help, to, to surround us when we need prayer, to help us. We need to trust people to help us. In fact, when we were getting ready to move to come up here from Texas and we're selling off everything we own and we're trying to decide what all we can fit in our little 6x12 U-Haul trailer to bring with us, uh, people were giving us things that we would need along the way. People were giving us camp stoves and and propane bottles and, and giving us cash because we're going to need gas money. I mean, these are our people that we've been living life with that want to help us. And we could have just as easily said, no, it's fine. We got this. I can go buy one at Target. But I'm robbing someone else of their blessing by not allowing them to help us. And so we need to be able to trust people to help us, trust those in our lives, trust our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us. And so maybe you're in here this morning and you don't know anyone in here that's trustworthy to help you. I got good news for you. There's trustworthy people all around you this morning. Why? Because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all want to see God glorified. And one way that we can do that is by helping one another, helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are trustworthy people around you. With that, let's turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Now, this is 
going to hit on a lot of different topics, these couple of verses, but there's a couple specifically to what we're talking about right now, and that's trusting people to help us. And so in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, this sounds like early first century life groups. So they're meeting together. They're, they're devoting themselves to teaching. They're fellowshipping. They're breaking bread, praying together, eating together, uh, worshiping together. And then in verse 44, that all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They're helping one another. They're trusting each other to meet each other's needs day by day. And he had need. And so, again, if we don't trust one another, building these friendships, creating trust in people to help us, we need to be able to do this so that if we are, in fact, in need, we can help one another. And so I have this quote that I found this week, and I don't know who it's by. It was written in the margins of, of my Bible, and I don't think I wrote it myself. I'm sure I heard someone else say it. But it says, everything about the church fights against privacy. Now, what does that mean? It means that we need to share with one another our needs, our struggles, our hurts, our difficulties. Why? So we can pray for one another, so we can help one another. Everything about the church fights against privacy. We shouldn't just come here, not talk to anybody, get our worship, and then go home and then that be it. We need to be relational, sharing with one another, hearing what your needs are, hearing what your struggles are, so we can pray on behalf of one another. We can pray for one another. We can help meet those needs, right? So in our small groups, which are now life groups, and there's another reason is because some of our small groups had 25, 30 people in them. That's not a small group. That's a small church. And so these Groups are now life groups because they're not all small and because we want to live life with one another. We want to help one another. We want to serve one another. We want to hang out with each other. We want to go to ball games together. We want to do all these things together. And we do that because we live life with one another. And so in these groups, or even within these church, within this church, in our relationships with our brothers and sisters, we want to we be there for each other, right? That's how we would be if we were just at home with our family. We want to know What's going on with you? We want to know how we can help. So within the body of Christ, we want to praise with you when you have a praise report. We want to rejoice with you when you are rejoicing. We want to pray over you when you need prayer. We want to walk through the valley with you if you're walking through a valley. We want to give you a ride to the store if you need a ride to the store. If you need gas money, we want to give you gas money. Whatever it is, we, as a church body, need to trust 
people. Trust our brothers and sisters around us to help us out when we need help. Amen? We need to pray for one another. We want to be there for each other. That's what family does, right? If we're a church family, we're going to call ourselves a family, and we're going to call each other brothers and sisters. We need to live like a church family. Maybe you come from a dysfunctional family like I did, and that weird family connotation doesn't hit home for you. Think about it in a different way, and not in dysfunction, but in the way that God designed and created the family, to love each other, to help each other, to be there for one another. Not to hurt each other, but to help each other. So maybe that's the way that we need to be a family with one another. And so the fourth point on your notes says we are to stand firm in grace. Stand firm in grace. It goes a little off from the the family dynamic that we're talking about, but it's in this passage, so I want to hit on it. So in verse 12, the, back, the, the second half of verse 12 says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So, not only are we recipients of God's grace, but we're to stand firm in that grace. Be immovable. Be unshakable. Right? Be steadfast in his grace. It is a great grace. It's an amazing grace. They even wrote a song about it. Amazing grace. His grace is sufficient, Paul said. You can't run out of his grace. You can't say, oh, I used up my grace for today. I guess I'll have to wait for tomorrow for more grace. No, it's sufficient for whatever you need. We need to stand firm in God's grace. And so when I was writing this and, and thinking about this, this being immovable and unshakable, um, you may not can tell by looking at it but I used to be quite an athlete and uh, I played basketball and football and ran track but in basketball practice have started right after football season would end and like the next week you had to switch gears and quit tackling people and switch to football to, to basketball which for me was a weird transition because even in basketball I like to push and elbow you know and uh, so we're in basketball practice we had to practice taking a charge which in basketball, if somebody's dribbling and they're in the lane, you stand in front of them and you don't move. And they hit you and knock you down and they get a foul. It's a penalty on them. You get the ball and they get a, a, a foul. And that was so contrary to my football brain, right? I wanted to do the hitting. I didn't want to stand there and let somebody just run into me. And so for me, it was really hard, but I had to stand there and be immovable Right, Because if you move just a little bit while taking a charge, you get the penalty, not them. And so in order to make sure that you didn't get a foul on you, you had to be immovable. Stand there and take it. And so we need to stand firm in God's grace and not be shaken. But if we do it together as a family, we stand firm together as a church body in God's grace, the enemy can't have his way with us. If we are united, if we are linked arm in arm, standing firm in God's grace, we have a better protection against what the world wants to throw at us, what the enemy wants to throw at us. And so not only that, but because God gives us grace, we are benefactors of his grace. We also must be bestowers of his grace, right? We don't want to just take, 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 but we want to give 
we show grace to those around us within the body and outside the body we want to be graceful full of grace showing grace to those around us even the difficult ones we want to show them grace give grace just as God gives us and so lastly the fifth point is be at peace sounds easy right be at peace but there's a lot to it so going back to first peter chapter 5 in verse 14 peter writes greet one another with the kiss of love peace to all of you who are in christ so that we so we know that the only true peace that we can have in this world is through jesus christ amen we all agree on that to know God is to know peace. Knowing that we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He lives within us that we can have peace. Right? That's why he says peace to all of you who are in Christ. Because if we're not in Christ, we're not only going to know temporal, worldly peace. We're not going to know eternal, heart change peace that only Jesus can provide. Right? And so Jesus is the God of peace. In fact, there's, there's some, some examples even from his birth when he was born. The Bible says it became announcing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Jesus is peace, right? When he was on the boat in the midst of this, the, the storm with the disciples and they all thought they were going to die, Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and said, peace, be still. Because he alone is peace and can give us peace. So turn with me to John chapter 14. We've got two more scripture passages and then we will close but John chapter 14 starting at verse 25 going to talk about Jesus' peace and the peace that he gives us so in verse 25 of John 14 says these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, Jesus is the only one that could give us this true peace. And he says, in peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, because the world could give us, give us their idea of what peace looks like and what peace should be and how we can attain peace. But the Jesus says, the only way to know real peace is the peace that I give you, the peace I leave with you. So don't let your hearts be troubled or let them be afraid, but rest in that peace that Jesus gives us. Be at peace within ourselves, but also be at peace within the body. Be at peace within the church body. There shouldn't be any dissension among the body, right? We should be at peace in unity with one another because we all want the same thing and that's to give God glory and praise. We don't want to be not in unity with one another because maybe we disagree on some things. But we should all have the same peace of the Lord within us so that we can live in peace together and glorify God together because we have the same peace of Jesus within us. So verse, flip over to John 16. We're, we're pretty close to each other there. So turn the page to John chapter 16. We're doing some Bible drills this morning. John 16, verse 31. 
Verse 31 says, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is telling them, you know what, the hour is going to come where you guys are going to scatter and leave me here, but I'm not going to be alone. I got the Father with me. But I'm telling you these things that are going to happen so that you can have peace, so that you won't be frightened, so that you won't be scared. The world is going to have tribulation, but Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world, but have peace. Rest in that peace that I give you because I have overcome the world. And so this morning, church, as we as we wind down and as we get ready to have an invitation, do we know where our true peace comes from? Do we know that it comes from Jesus alone? And if that's the case, if we know it, then are you resting in it today? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered everything to him? Not just the things you don't like. That would be easy to surrender. But have you surrendered all to Jesus? They wrote a song about that too. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Have you given everything to him? Is he your Lord and Savior this morning? That's what we're going to talk about, what we're going to sing about this morning. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. Because guess what, church? His promises are true and faithful. He's coming back for his church. Amen. We don't know the time or the place, but we know that it's true. And we can rest in that promise because the world may have tribulation, but Jesus said, I give you peace. Take heart. Rest in him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, the, for your word, for your promises. God, I thank you for this church body. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that we've, we've made these relationships in the short time that we've been here. God, and I look forward to building new ones and creating more relationships to get to know my brothers and sisters here. And so, God, I'm thankful for the grace that you give us that we can stand firm in. I'm thankful for the peace that you give us that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We need you. And we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.